I know you set me up there. I was, you, this is so easy. I'm like, what, what if I get it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 188. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're discussing Voyager's first season episodes, Prime Factors, State of Flux, and Heroes and Demons. Here we go. Prime Factors, Season 1, Episode 10, Production Code 110, Original Air Date, March 20th, 1995, Directed by Les Landau, Story by David R. George and Eric A. Stilwell, Teleplay by Greg Elliott and Michael Perricone, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Josh Clark as Lieutenant Joe Carey, Martha Hackett as Seska, Ronald Gutman as Gath, Andrew Hill Newman as Jarrett Otell, and Yvonne Suhor as Udana. Voyager encounters a very hospitable race known as the Sicarians and is invited to visit their homeworld, Sicarius. Shore leave is organized, and during the visit, Ensign Kim and the Sicarians transport themselves to another planet, Alastria. Kim notices that the planet has two stars and must belong to another star system. The Sicarian describes the location of the planet, and Kim deducts that the tra- teleporter device, the Tranjector, has transported them 40 light years across the Delta Quadrant. We prefer permanence, the reward of relationships that endure and grow deeper with the passing of time. You would lose those notions if you stayed with us. You may be right. And that's why we have to leave. Adam, kick us off on Prime Factors. Prime Factors. It took me a second to remember this episode. I was kind of like, in the beginning, I'm like, so anyway, anyway, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, it's an interesting concept. You know, we get another we get another one of these episodes where you know there's a possibility that they can um, cut their trip in half or make it really short by um, getting the help of these people who are able to transport themselves great distances across the galaxy. Um, so it's kind of interesting. The technology behind it's interesting. It's cool to kind of see you know a race where they're getting along you know a lot of the times they they kind of run into conflict so about you know we soon find out that's not quite the case you know there's a little bit of possible romance with Janeway and this uh, the leader of this group um I don't know that didn't work out too well for me um and the end kind of feels rushed I like the end I mean I like all the stuff that we went through with Janeway having and Tuvok and um, and Taurus, you know, about them going behind their back and those whole scenes towards the end. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe when I'll maybe I'll feel a little bit differently after we talk about it. But it, it, the the second half of the episode kind of seemed rushed and chaotic, and maybe that's what they were kind of going for because it's kind of like, are we going to do this? We're going to take this technology, or are we not going to take it? So I'm interested to kind of hear you guys' thoughts. Yeah, the the way the plot moves is a little clunky. I th- I think I like this episode, and I really like some of that stuff near the end. We'll get to that, but but I I can see what you're saying. You know, it doesn't feel it feels a little disjointed the way it moves from yeah, some kinda areas. Yeah, kind of gets rushed in the end. 
Yeah. Steve, your first thoughts? Yeah, I, th- I always thought this was an interesting episode. And what I what I always remembered, I think, was the kind of the twist ending almost and, and so on. But also this creepy guy who's always talking about his pleasure and this being pleasurable and not pleasurable. And I don't know, just his delivery. It's kind of creepy. But that that's what I always remembered about about this one. Um, so, yeah, I, I do like it. I think it's got um, some interesting notions to, to ponder and it kind of turns the tables on Starfleet and the whole prime directive issue. So that's kind of fun. Yeah. That, that's the stuff that makes it interesting is, is uh, that it does feel unique, I guess it has enough going for it, enough stuff that's different from other Star Trek episodes. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not saying necessarily that you could not have done this on other shows. I don't know. Yeah. I think, some of the stuff that makes it so effective, though, wouldn't it wouldn't have been as effective on other shows. Janeway's relationship with Tuvok is such a big part of that, and it's a very specific kind of relationship. And that that isn't quite mimicked between any two others I can think of on another show. So maybe so maybe it wouldn't have been a, 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 would not have been as effective. But I do like that. I feel like they hadn't quite told this story on another episode of Star Trek, and. That's certainly uh, makes it worth telling. I was going to say, do you guys think it would have been a more interesting story if it if the stakes were higher? You know, because like they were trading literature, which kind of seemed um, seemed like that's something you would have just given them anyway if they would have asked for it. And so there was this trade for you know this technology to jump them across the galaxy for literature. Do you think the story might have been a little bit more interesting if they wanted like a higher like the same kind of the equivalent in technology? That something Borger had. No, I don't know about that. I I, I like the idea of of uh, giving that sort of thing some value, and and you're right, they would have just given it away if they'd asked. But that isn't uh, for me. Those the the problems in there stem more from the weird kind of nondescript species, like who these these this species really is. Like they they're pleasure seekers, sort of, but they kind of look like. Their planet kind of looks like the Farpoint station or something, you know. I mean, they're not very well defined, I guess, is what I'm saying. And I think that holds that holds them as a species back. It's no surprise I don't think we see these guys again. It's just kind of like I don't I don't really quite understand who they are or why it matters. I, I don't know. That's what holds it back more than I mean, the concept of, of uh, our stories having value has been explored in Star Trek and I, and I, you know, you think of like something like Darmok or oh, there's another Voyager episode with the campfires, but that, that part of it doesn't bother me. I think it's, I think it's weak in some other areas that maybe make that section seem problematic when in fact it maybe isn't for me. Uh, I do really like that, that last scene there between Janeway and Tuvok, um, it's the most memorable thing about the episode. I don't remember that that comes from this episode until like halfway to the episode. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it feels different. You know, it feels like, uh, you know, like it, it changes tone very quickly near the end. That scene is really good. I know Tim Russ had some issues maybe with portraying Tuvok in a way that is a little unflattering, uh, especially, you know, the way he kind of treats Janeway, but mm. it makes sense to me. I, I understand why he, Tuvok would do this. And I understand how he could square it with himself, even though he is wrong. And that 
I think it gives him a chance to kind of, you know, make a mistake and grow from it. What do you guys think about that sequence? Like I said, for me, it was the most, it was the thing I remembered the best from this episode. Oh yeah, for sure. It was the, it was the best scene of, of the episode. Um, you know, her explaining what his role in her life and her career is and that she needs to be able to count on that is, um, yeah, it's a poignant moment. Um, it's a, it's a really, really good scene. Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, it, it, his his position, his point of view makes sense. I mean, what he's, you know, it's obviously, it's logical what he's stating, but it's also, um, it's always, it's also making the assumption that you always know what's best and it's okay to just circumvent not only your captain, but your friend, regardless of their choice, you know, and so... Um, yeah, his reaction to what she said and how profound it seemed to him and how it seemed, he seemed to grow in that moment. It's interesting. And it's interesting too, in that a lot of times, because a lot of times the, the character that grows the most in an episode, that's the character that's carried through the episode. Right. But in this case, you know, it's not like this is a big Tuvok episode. Right. And so it's, it's kind of interesting, you know, in that way that he just, he did what he did and then. You know, we think he he grew from the experience, but it's not like this episode focused on him. So let's talk about the cre- creepy Bel- Belgian mm. guy that isn't from right. Belgium. Um, I, I I like the way his voice sounds. I don't know. I think that he's I think he's actually okay. Like I said, I think that the the, the aliens themselves aren't very well defined, but he's kind of you know just as written. Uh, but I think he's kind of interesting. I. I I don't know. I could almost see this sort of romantic thing, even though it was one-sided between him and Jane. <laughs> mostly one-sided. Right. Well, I mean, I, I say he's creepy, but I, I think it's a, it's also effective. I think what they want to come across, what they're trying to portray here, and how he's coming across is is what is what is intended, you know. So I don't I'm not complaining about it, but it is creepy. Him talking about his pleasure and this is pleasurable, and that's not pleasurable, and it's so pompous and absurd <laughs> by the by the end of it you know it's, yeah 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 by the end of the episode yeah he comes off pompous and creepy and you kind of realize what he did but in the early you know she obviously spent a lot of time with him and they spent that whole evening together so she, there wasn't an, an attraction i don't know if it was romantic but she was clearly kind of interested in in the species and in him early on when he's offering like he wants to make her a dress and she's like oh, let's start with the scarf and then he's like oh, maybe a dress you know and she's like Let's start with a scarf. <laughs> you know, I, I think there would have been a line, though. Like, if he had said, okay, how about a nighty? Lingerie. I think we would have known if he'd cross a, a teddy, maybe. <laughs> um, all right. I want to make sure we talk about that line Janeway has. You know, this is the first time we've been on the other side of the fence on the other side of the prime directive that is kind of interesting i don't think i'm not sure we've quite seen that it's one of those those items that where i said I, this feels a little bit unique for me as a trek episode it is cool that they get kind of that new perspective and but it seems like the only one who really respects it is janeway yeah nobody else nobody else recognizes that no, nobody else says okay i see that we're on the other side of this and because we've been we're usually on the the, the first side uh, we understand why this needs to be respected. It doesn't feel like anybody else is, gets there. It's Janeway's there almost immediately, but nobody else does. Right. That's why she's the captain. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I think the 
inexperience of that, having that perspective, it, it's one of those things you have to get, you get accustomed to, you know? I mean, I think there's, I think there's an analog here with um, like the position of uh, the United States in around the world. And I mean, obviously this is evolving and changing over time, but you know, um, it, it's kind of like one of those deals where if, if you are, if you are in, if you're privileged and you don't have, if you're not in, in need of something, right. And you adjust to that and you recognize that there are other places and other people that do need that, but you don't, and you can have, you can try to have empathy for it, but it's never the same as being in the position of seeing others that have more privilege. Right. So, um, to some extent. And so I think, I think it's something that requires experience in that position in order to appreciate it and, and to accept it. Cause uh, as you pointed out, she's the only one that's saying, well, you know, this is our principle and that principle is like ours. And we just have to be, accept that we're on that other side and everyone else just kind of balks at it and ignores it. Like, well, how can we get around this? You know? So. Well, and it's not really, I kind of felt like it wasn't ever really clearly defined. I mean, you know, cause do they have that opening scene where she talks about, okay, we're on the other side of it. And then um, a couple minutes later, you know, Kim's being, you know, here, we'll give you this for, um, for your literature stories. And, you know, and Janeway actually does consider it for a little while until the, until the end when she find out, finds out mm -hmm. what these people are really like. So, I mean, you know, I'm watching this episode and I understand where Janeway's coming from in her training. I, I just kind of was curious what other captains, they would make that trade at the end if she was wrong not to make that trade or was she right? Yeah. It was one of those things that I was thinking about like the, there have what there've been, you know, um, six Star Trek shows, depending on how you count it. And I was thinking there are probably six captains that, <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> you know, I think pretty much most, most rational people would have been like half our trip, half the distance to our, you know, uh, home planet, mm -hmm. whatever we got to do. You know, what's the other ship they eventually encounter is the Equinox. Oh, right. right. I, I think that there's this, I think that uh, the, the reason this episode focuses on these characters is because they're exceptional and Janeway is exceptional. Mm -hmm. I don't think she ever really considered the clandestine option. I don't think she really did. I don't think she would have done it. What's this episode about? I think it, I think if you try to connect the um, the two focal points, being that the position they're in, the the, uh, the the trade that may or may not happen with the society, what they have to offer, and the and the issues with that, and and you look at the Tuvok Janeway issue and what happened at the end. I think it's it's this kind of this notion of moral ambiguity, how you can justify as they pointed out at the end you know logic can justify anything well you can justify a position uh if you you can you can twist your morals to you know if you're if you're savvy enough you can twist it to meet the needs of the moment right so it's the notion of moral ambiguity that everything's aren't that clear cut you know so often the ends justify the means to the point that um people can overlook just about anything. And it's very difficult to adhere to some kind of standard when so many accept that if, if it's a, if it's important enough, the ends can justify the means. Yeah, I, d I definitely agree with that. I mean, 
there's you know if you look at the character side of it, it's about trust and building trust and um you see Janeway with her you know and Tuvok this relationship that they've had for a number of years that they've set up and um understanding that uh even you know, as close as they are she doesn't just mm-hmm. dispel him or or push him away she understands she understands what he was doing was from a right place it just came out the wrong way and i think he says that more poetically than i just said you know he's like his his logic was correct but he was not mm. and um and then their friendship and their and their relationship not just as um co-workers or or crewmates or you know captain officer there it goes beyond that and that trust that goes beyond that and you kind of see that with the the crew you see that a little bit with um with Taurus, you know, she's like, I need you. If there was any other part, you would be in, you know, so there's still that trust that's still kind of being formed and bonded. And I think you saw that a lot. You saw the guilt in um, Taurus, you know, she played it really well. You could see the guilt in her eyes and her face. And she kind of struggled with that through the whole episode. You know, she had um, um, others, you know, egging her on to do this. And you could tell that she had that inner conflict in this about going against what um, Janeway wanted. So that's what I got on top of what Steve said. (laughs) All right. Let's do six degrees for prime factors. Uh, Steve, Mm -hmm. I think I've asked this before, but Martha Hackett plays Seska. She played sub-commander Raul Rule in DS9's The Surge Parts 1 and 2. That kicked off which season of DS9? Mm. Was it three? Yes, sir. Uh, Adam Hackett was also in a deleted scene as another character for the final episode of Next Gen. Name that episode. The final episode. The final episode. Yes, that's that was too easy, wasn't it? The final episode. Um, all good things. Yes, sir. One one. Moving on. State of Flux, Season 1, Episode 11, Production Code 111, Original Air Date, April 10th, 1995, Directed by Robert Shearer, Story by Paul Robert Coyle, Teleplay by Chris Abbott, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy, Guest Cast Include Martha Hackett as Seska, Josh Clark as Lieutenant Carey, and Anthony DeLongas as First Maj Cola. The crew of Voyager are foraging for food on a planet. When the ship detects a cloaked Kazon vessel and they are ordered to return. Jakote is left behind to search for Seska, who he finds hiding in a cave. As soon as he finds her, he is fired on by two Kazons, who are stunned by return fire, allowing Jakote and Seska to escape. Three. Someone from this ship has covertly given technology to the Kazon. Computer, hold turbo lift. I don't like number three at all, Tuvok. Nevertheless, it is the most probable explanation. Steve, kick us off on State of Flux. Yeah, you know, I was reading my notes over this, and it like took me like a minute to even register this episode, even after I just watched it <laughs> a few days ago and read my notes. And I, I mean, I, I think I remember it as the one where we find out Seska is a Cardassian. I remember that. Um, and... Otherwise, it just feels like there's a, it's, there's so much little stuff they're trying to connect that it feels like a hodgepodge, you know, with the Kazon and, you know, Seska's connection with them and how it all kicks off with this. I, I think it was fairly comical, the opening with Neelix and his 
you know, discussion of these apples and what they would do to you. I thought that was fun. But um, otherwise, you know, I, I, it's obviously an interesting plot twist in terms of the whole series. And we get some insight into Seska's relationship with Chakotay um, and so on. But I don't know. I, I don't think it's a very cohesive episode. I think it's kind of fragmented and that's just that's just my feel on it. Yeah, I kind of felt like um, it really wasn't even a mystery. I mean, you know, in the previous episode, you know, we had Seska pounding on um on Taurus, you know, so we kind of, you've kind of gotten a feel for Seska, especially in the previous episodes. So these are right back to back. So I think my problem with it, it wasn't really a mystery. It was, I don't even remember it being a mystery back when I saw it the first time. Um, it, it was Seska though. I mean, you knew it was her. They just set it up really, you know, uh, I did read originally that this episode was going to just be called Seska, and then, and then like somebody realized, yeah, we're kind of giving it away if we call the episode Seska. <laughs> I mean, it obviously starts this, you know, this arc within the arc of Voyager. You know, Seska is going to be a returning villain, and you know, you have this kind of arc storyline that we're going to get with Chakotay and you know his betrayal. You know how he feels betrayed by by her, and you know he kind of gets over it with Tuvok in this episode, but. I, I I was never like excited about this storyline, nor did I hate it. It was just kind of kind of added drama in there, and you know, Seska's going to come back in one way or another throughout the whole series. So um, I guess in that way, you kind of have you kind of have to have a villain. So she kind of works out. Well, this is <laughs> this is new. <laughs> you guys both kind of don't care for this episode, but I like it. I don't dislike it. When's the last time that happened? Yeah, no, I I like it a lot though. Uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to give a little bit of credit to just, I like this episode partially cause I like this kind of story. I like these, these, you know, double cross, triple cross mystery spy things a little bit. Um, there's a little bit of mystery and it's just, this is the kind of story that I like so that I'm sure I'm being kinder to it for that reason. But I don't think I knew the first time I saw it until the end that it really was Seska. You know, I think, I, I think there was enough jumping around and it kept me guessing. And maybe, you know, I mean, this is, that's a long time ago. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but the first time I saw it, I don't, I didn't think it was so clear. I thought they did a good job of, of keeping you guessing. Uh, I liked that this whole, you know, introducing this backstory between Chakotay and Seska I think that gave it some stakes for, you know, Chakotay especially. Um, I mean, I think maybe they could have done, maybe this episode would have been a little bit better if they would have set Seska up a little bit. They just kind of started to, you just kind of started to get to know Seska in the previous episode. I mean, you know, she's been around, but she's been pretty much just a kind of a very much a BC character up until the last episode before this one. But that's what makes it work, right? If this same episode, say, in Next Gen... Uh, we would never have seen this person until this episode. And then she would have just been around talking to Riker as if she'd been in several episodes before that, right? And we'd be like... Well, see, I disagree because... We would probably, you know, we would have just gone with it. But you know what I mean? Like, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have set her up several episodes just so that they could have her turn coat here. Well, I disagree because they did, they did that... And that's what I think makes it kind of work. They did that work. successfully in Deep Space Nine with Eddington. That felt emotional. That felt you felt Cisco's betrayal because they'd done such a good job setting up Eddington as this loyal 
by the book Starfleet Officer. No, the difference there to me is Eddington, A, was a more significant character, but B, I don't think they knew that he was going to be a traitor until, you know. You know, I'm not saying they would have had to, they had to set her up as much as, as, say, Eddington, but there's no real, I don't know. I just, I, there's no, I don't. But I feel like they put Seska in this show. Every episode she was in before this one was purely just so that this episode would work. Well, like I said, my, my problem with it is like, I had no emotional value in Seska. So it doesn't, it did, the character, I don't, I don't, I don't I care that. that she becomes the bad guy. I don't really feel that betrayal that, that um, Chakotay feels because they don't set her up. So I don't have an emotional value in her character is what I'm saying. So it doesn't matter to me that she becomes the villain. I don't have an emotional response to that. You know, I think I think for me, it's not. I mean, I, I don't I don't like hate this episode or something, but I think what it what it is, it's not so much the is Seska or Carrie the one and who's you know this kind of business. I don't think that's really the what kind of I don't I don't care for so much. To me, it's that it it doesn't feel it doesn't feel cohesive. It doesn't feel like it. Um, it just kind of it's so there's like little bits that they connect in theory, but it doesn't feel like the tone doesn't feel consistent or something to me. And I, I know that's subjective and I, I mean, I'm mean, not a good analysis or something, but it just feels like it just kind of goes, goes, goes. And then we get to the bit and the whole ploy to reveal that it's Seska and that's cool. And I, I like that, you know, they have a relationship and, and I do think they've set her up. Okay. I, I never really cared for the character. I didn't, I don't think, I always kind of had a distaste for her, I think a little bit. And so I don't really feel that, Oh, you know, it's, I mean, I feel for Chakotay a little bit that, you know, they have a history and then she got, he got turned around, but it almost feels like, or is this really surprise Chakotay because you see what kind of character she is, et cetera, et cetera. But, but yeah, my problem with this isn't so much the mystery component or how they set up Seska, but it just, it just feels like this could have been tighter or something. I tell you, so one thing I like about this episode is with Seska leaving the way she does, you know, escaping to that Kazon ship, it, it reminds me of like uh, the next gen um, sins of the father. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there's this guarantee of, okay, we're going to see Seska again. They have to come back to this story. Yeah. You yeah. know, there's like this real, real feeling of serial storytelling in a way. I mean, we're only a few episodes into this entire series and we're, and we're getting that. And that's cool, you know. Oh, I agree. Yeah, you have you, you have this um story. You know, obviously Voyager has their story arc of getting back home, but this isn't one of those little minor arcs within their within their journey that we get to see. It's the first the first one we get to see. Like I said, I don't I don't dislike the the Seska storyline. We I think we get some good episodes out of the storyline. Um, we definitely get a lot about Chakotay what kind of guy he is moving forward and the, the betrayal. I mean, it gets worse for those who haven't watched Voyager out mm-hmm. there. It gets worse for him um, down the road. So I find all that interesting. Um, like I said, I, I, I think probably Steve and I just, we don't have a, we have a distaste for Seska. Maybe that's just what they wanted. And I kind of, like I said, when I was watching this, I was just thinking about Eddington and how his betrayal of Cisco just felt different to me. You could just, I could feel Cisco's betrayal because of that setup. And I just never really had an emotional, um, you know, any kind of emotional feeling other than like she's a bad guy when it came to Seska. You have a thing for bald guys. <laughs> you know, like I said, I, I, I recognize that a lot of this is just, it's just my kind of story. But like when, you know, Tuvok is doing his, <laughs> his uh, 
investigative thing is his Sherlock Holmesy kind of thing is like, well, there are three possibilities. <laughs> you know, they got it from another vessel. They, they, uh, I forget some similar. And then it says, or someone on this ship, you know, gave it to them. And that's the most probable, most probable that someone on this ship shared technology with the Kazon. Watch Seska basically is what he says. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. It, it's hard to watch this episode and not think about, where we know they're going to take Seska right, right. and what they're, we know they're going to do with her. But if I try to watch it and not think about those things, I think this episode is effective at keeping me guessing. Mm-hmm. I think it could have just as easily ended with some totally different thing. And then Chakotay uh, is kind of forced to, you know, admit that he was wrong. You know, that could have, that could have happened up until that moment when they set the little trap, it still could have gone in either direction. And I think it would have been, you know, narratively plausible. But now knowing who we know Seskawa is mm-hmm. and will be, uh, you know, the outcome seems so obvious. But mm-hmm. I, th- I, th- I think probably where it probably hurts, they don't really have a plausible motive for, um, oh my gosh, I forgot, is the other engineer who was the suspect. Oh, Carrie, yeah. Oh, yeah, Carrie, Carrie's got no real plausible motive to me to to you know i know the only thing that they had on him is that it was a station or anything like that and you know we don't there's no not a whole lot of um development for carrie but other than the fact that he got passed over but other than that he was a fine example of a starfleet um officer so there's a lack of motivation there from what we know about his character to think that he would do this so um you know you're right they could have twisted at the end and then given us all that motivation but um they didn't and so and where we already kind of had a setup with Seska that she's unhappy with Janeway. She's unhappy with Starfleet. She does. She wants to get home as quickly as possible. So you kind of see there's more motivation for her there. So I don't, that's, that's where the mystery wasn't, there wasn't a lot of mystery to it. Even the first time I saw it. I like that. I like the last thing I want to say before we do the, what's it about is I do like the chemistry between uh, the actors, uh, Chicote and mm-hmm. Chicote and Seska. I think that those, those two actors, they have a chemistry. That that scene where they're together, um, you know, and she's like, that's probably my favorite scene in the episode, you know. I mean, she's lying <laughs> now, we know, but she's yeah. like, I only had one agenda with you and I never kept it a secret, you know. I think it's, I think, I think they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like the scene at the end with Tuvok and um, Chicote. It's kind of similar to Paris and Tuvok a mm-hmm. couple weeks ago, but I um, you know, you know, Tuvok even admits, well, you know, she fooled me as well. So, you know, I like that whole scene. Well, Misery loves company and stuff. Mm-hmm. It kind of adds a little lightness, a lightness to, you know, actually something that really was seriously dramatic in this episode and, you know, kind of ends it on a, yeah, it's true, kind of a half smile. What's this episode about? A lot of it's about betrayal and deception. Um, Who can you trust when you're in an investigation? It's kind of, you know, I know it's kind of basic, but I mean, yeah, it comes down to trust and betrayal. You trust somebody, you think you know somebody, um, maybe you ignore the signs throughout your whole time with them because you know and you end up really not knowing knowing somebody because maybe you just weren't looking and it's kind of what i got from it yeah i mean I, I i can see that and otherwise i don't really have i don't i don't know that it has a really strong message for me i mean i i, I liked i've liked episodes that don't have a really strong point and disliked ones i mean but i but i so i don't think it's bad i just don't know that it really hits at home for me you know that uh, i'm not sure why it's i don't know it's the but i have trouble having a coalescing some kind of 
firm idea on what this is about. I thought I was just trying to say that deep down inside, we're all Cardassians. <laughs> <laughs> we all want spoon noses, is what you're saying? That's right. Let's do six degrees for state of flux. The score is one to one. Adam, you going first or second? I'm sure I'll go first. I'll go first, right. Hackett's final appearance as Seska was in the episode Basics Part 2. Which season of Voyager will that open? Season 3? Yes, sir. Steve, including her first appearance in Parallels, through her final appearance playing the real Seska in Basics Part 2, how many times does Hackett play Seska? 5, 8, or 11? Oh, jeez. 11? Yes, sir. Wow. My questions are too easy today. Mm-hmm. Two to two. Moving on. I can't remember the last time that score happened. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on. Heroes and Demons, Season 1, Episode 12. Production code 112. Original air date, April 24th, 1995. Directed by Les Landau. Written by Naren Shankar. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Michael Keenan as Hrothgar, Marjorie Monaghan as Freya, and Christopher Neem as Unferth. Ensign Harry Kim is discovered to be missing. The crew finds his holodeck program based on the epic poem Beowulf still running. When Jakote and Tuvok are lost in the program while investigating, Captain Janeway sends in the doctor to investigate. Under the assumption that his immaterial hologram he cannot be dematerialized in the way the missing crew had been. Think of this as your first away mission, Doctor. I can understand your hesitation. But there are three lives at stake, and you have the best chance of anyone on this ship to save them. Do you understand that? Yes. Good. Heroes and demons. This is an interesting one because... I feel like most people like this episode, and I've always thought it doesn't quite work. And I'm not entirely sure why, but there is one thing that's different here. For me, this episode was the... what Steve, what was the air date on this episode again? April 24th of 95. Yeah. I was in transit in the Army <laughs> for all, all, all of April, and I missed this episode. It was the only one that I missed, and I didn't see it until the DVDs came out. It's the only episode of Voyager that I didn't see when it first aired. Maybe that would have, maybe that made a difference. Maybe if I'd seen it at the time, uh, it would have, it would have seemed smoother. But I have always thought it, it feels odd to me. There's something about this episode. We'll, we'll get into that. But I'm, I'm kind of curious to see you guys' first in, your, you know, initial reactions. If you love this episode as much as so many people seem to, or, you know, like when I think of the great, the first great Doctor episode, this is not it. It's projections in the next season for me. Maybe Steve and I will love this episode and Brian won't, so we'll get, kind of get the opposite from the last State of Flux. Um, I like this episode. I like that it's kind of hokey. I kind of think it works. It's a holo- it's a hologram episode. I mean, when I first started watching this, I was, it took me a second to get into it. I knew it was going to be a hologram. I'm like, oh, this is the one where the doctor goes on his away, first away mission. Now, the whole, the whole program is kind of hokey. It's kind of like a really hokey version of um, Beowulf. You know, um, So that part of it's kind of cheesy, but I kind of think it works. It doesn't. It works in the episode for the doctor for his first away mission, you know, 
you kind of want something kind of light for him, even though he's facing this this creature that can dematerialize people and even him, it's it's kind of scary at the end. It's kind of hokey up until that point. Maybe that's where the episode kind of kind of falters or is kind of weak. Maybe if the holographic program was a little bit more interesting or intriguing, it would have been a better episode. But it doesn't ruin it for me. I don't know. I'd be interested to hear Steve's thoughts. Well, what's funny is that, I mean, I have a kind of a similar experience. No, I'm not really similar, but that I I think I didn't, I saw this before the DVDs came out, but I didn't see it the first time and I kind of caught up with it. And I'm not sure why. I don't know what was going on. Um, so it was confusing. I had to, you know, to backtrack and see what's going on. And he had a name, but he doesn't have a name and so on. So I remember that kind of confusion back when I first saw this, probably in reruns over that summer or something like that. Um but yeah, I mean, I don't hate this episode and I like the doctor generally speaking. And I don't think, you know, I don't think it is awful, but I think, I think the issue is that it's just kind of, um, it, it feels like a, a stereotypical hollow deck kind of thing, you know? And by the time we get to this point, you know, next gen has kind of exhausted that sub genre of Trek, you know, uh, episode where it feels like this is just, and I get that it's different that, you know, I, I think it's a good idea. Hey, let's find some creative way of making the doctor not just be in sick bay. That's cool. You know, and he needs to grow as a character. Um, but I, I just don't know that it's, um, that his experience and, and his connection with this holographic character is justifies that kind of first, leap into something outside of sick bay and um so you know I, I, I'm, I'm fine with it but i think it's like a lot of pomp and whatnot in this in this realm and so on to, that's not doesn't really pay off in some way well i don't think like like the doctor with freya they seem very did it they seem kind of clunky to me he gets a kiss and everything but like when she's dying and he's i don't remember what she says to him as she's dying and, and he's trying to comfort her or something it's like that doesn't feel like an earned moment at all like i don't care at all like it's weird mm. i don't i don't know i it's like i love the doctor but putting him in this kind of holodeck story doesn't it, he's just wrong for it it doesn't it's not like he's not like so so wrong that it's funny. Even he's just he's just wrong enough. <laughs> it's wrong. You know what I mean? It just it just doesn't work. It's weird to me that this. I think this. I I've always kind of felt like it just doesn't work. I, I will say there's one thing ex that I find exceptional about this episode: Janeway's hair. Oh yeah, I made a note on that. I love Janeway's hair here, and I and I. I know she only does this for an episode or two, and I wish she did it more because I think her hair is awesome. Yeah, like this episode. It's also weird that like this episode is a th third over before it becomes mm. a Doctor episode. Yeah, you know, like the whole first section is is uh, what Chicote and Tuvok looking for Kim. You know, it's not it's not it's not a Doctor episode for at least 15, 16 minutes into this you know, 45 minute episode. You know, I made a note on that. And, and then it's, I mean, I think, I think conceptually it's an interesting idea to shift the focus of an episode to different characters. I mean, but I don't think you need more time than 45 minutes. You know, I mean, I've, I've seen films that do this, you know, where you think it's about one character and then it switches it up, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but I don't think it, 
pulls it off. I mean, initially it's kind of interesting, like, okay, this is Tuvok and Chakotay. And now it's definitely not because they're gone and that's cool. But then that, that is kind of that whole, you know, tack on it just kind of falls to the wayside and then it goes on what it's doing. So I also think another thing that bothers me about it is, and believe me, I understand if someone's like, oh, that's too much, but this isn't, I, I respect that. But somehow the, some of the sciencey stuff that happens in this one is just too much. Like they are, there's an uh, alien species that's photonic, like the stuff on the holodeck and, and they kidnap mm. people from Voyager in the holodeck in the hopes that they're mistakenly kidnapped kids or something get returned. Like what? And these things floating around are just creatures and sentient beings and, and we can just push a button and they send, uh, they send Jakote and Tuvok and Kim back and great. I don't know. It's, it's just too much for me somehow. You get a kind of warning right from the get-go when it says there's photonic activity in the protostar, and you know they don't mean like photons, you know? And it's like, oh, here we go. You know? <laughs> yeah, so like Tuvok doesn't look over to Janeway and say like, duh, it's a star. <laughs> right, right. I bet there's some neutrons in there too, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> I got some atoms here in my hand. <laughs> well, thinking about it, you two probably did suffer from not seeing it on the first run because by the time you saw it, the the doctor was a formed character. Um, and it's kind of hard to go back and be like, you know, you can't, it's hard. I mean, if you think about it, this is the first time he's actually been out of sick bay. It was probably great for Picardo to be like, oh, I don't have to work in this little room today. I can go on a, a night set with armor and stuff like that so i think when they were probably writing this they wanted to make how would you how do you introduce some a, a, a being that's never had any kind of interaction with anybody other than patients outside of a sick bay so i think they they tried to probably make they tried to make the, the story simple enough for him the character so it wouldn't be overwhelming i don't know if it works entirely or not it's it like i said it's kind of cheesy but it, it doesn't ruin it for me um there's one brief moment when he first gets onto the holodeck, he like grabs a tree branch and smiles or something. And you're like, oh, he's never seen a tree branch before. That's amazing. Then that's it. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. There's never really another moment where he has that. He, it should be nonstop. It should be, everything should be crazy and, and something he's never remotely experienced before. And he should be making all the wrong decisions and I, or freaking out. I don't care. But something, but it doesn't feel like that to me. Yeah, the, the, the kind of the 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 character the I don't know that it feels true to the character at this stage in the you know in the first season because like I know the doctor's beginning to get he's beginning to loosen up a little bit somewhat you know he's got the relationship with Kess going on you see some depth but to me in the first season he's mostly the snarky acerbic character right and then like on here there's there's some kind of flat out comic moments like when he's eating the you know the the elk or whatever that is and things like this. And that feels a little more like later on doctor, but it doesn't, you know, in retrospect like this, but he hasn't gotten there. Yeah. Yet. And so it feels like, it feels like tonally they got the character not quite right in writing it for this. And since it focuses on him, at least the latter half to two thirds of the episode, that may be where it just doesn't feel quite right. I think you're right. I think, I think that is because in my notes I wrote this episode doesn't quite work. Why is that? 
uh, and I wasn't sure, but I think you're right. I think it's the tone. I think it's the doctor's tone is not who he's been before this and not who he's going to be. And it's not even the thing that should be between those things. He's the doctor feels off in this episode. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there's, I think there's some tone issues with the doctor. Maybe that's maybe that's what makes it feel. Um, what I will what I will agree with you on Brian is like um, I thought the whole name thing was kind of silly. I remember when they when this episode was being promoted, it was like oh the doctor was going to come up with a name, you know, and that's kind of that's kind of how they pulled you in mm. on this episode for the promos before it came out. And I thought it, you know he named himself Schweitzer was, was kind of silly. You know, the whole name thing was kind of silly, and I think they could have done without mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, and they could have done without that at the end. He's like, well, I can't go by that name anymore because it too painful so they could have that could have been all dropped i thought it was just kind of a big tease that was a letdown so that part of the episode i I didn't care for is this episode about anything growing through medieval stories Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) i don't don't know um well you could say kind of say it's it's about getting out of your comfort zone obviously yes there is that there's that getting out of your comfort zone um taking risks and um, you know, it doesn't hit it on the head, but I mean, these are the kind of the loose themes, you know, growing through becoming, doing things that you're not accustomed to, or that might scare you. I didn't think Janeway's hair was that out of the ordinary. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, fabulous. I think if, I mean, I think it, it would have improved this if they did, if they had not, if they kind of, if they'd not made the the slip ups maybe on the the way the doctor's written and the the tonal stuff that we spoke of and also if they would have played up more the um idea that the the idea that you know you can't always bail when you're out of your comfort zone you know because they, they kind of touch on that but they don't don't really dive into it the notion that the doctor says get me out of here get me out of here and yes he lost an arm but obviously they fixed that and it must not have been <laughs> too huge of a deal and he panicked but they don't really play that up you know that could have been played right. up more maybe where you know it's like you know sometimes you've got to stick with something even though it's it, you have some fear you know they could have had that as a more of a lasting trauma yeah. on him that he didn't want to go yeah. back in or something all right uh, last thing, how do you guys rate today's three episodes? Oh, ranking. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it would probably be state of flux, prime factors, heroes, and demons. But it seems like we kind of disagreed a little bit more than usual today. So I'm curious what what how you guys would rate it. I don't know. I don't think there was a big, big up and down between episodes. They're all. I don't know, average. I don't, I mean, I could put them all in different orders. And like I said, there wasn't like a great episode or a really bad episode here. So, I mean, I enjoyed heroes and demons. I'll go that one, that one state of flux and then prime factors. I'll go the opposite. Yeah. So I I think I would have just plopped the first two on Brian's ranking. I think I would have gone prime factor, state of flux, heroes and demons. This has got to be the first time we've all disagreed about the order. (laughs) Well, right. well, as 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 Adam pointed out, there there certainly was not a clear cut, you know, great yeah. or clear cut well, awful in this one. So I think that's what makes it interesting. I mean, if we were just talking hair, <laughs> we were just talking hair, we'd well, all be in agreement. Yeah, here's and demons, man. Janeway's hair. It's. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, let's do six degrees for heroes and demons. The score is two, two, two. Steve, you going first or second? I'll go first. <laughs> Christopher Neem plays Unferth. He played a Nazi in the first two episodes of the fourth season of Witch Trek series. Enterprise. Adam Michael Keenan plays Rothgar. He played Patrick in two episodes. Star Trek. One was called Statistical Probabilities, and the other was called Chrysalis. Which series was that? He played a Klingon, you said? No. He played a human named Patrick, although he was an exceptional human in some ways. Oh, I'm just going to say Next Generation. Just throw that out there. No. Steve? DS9. You are correct. Remember the, the, the group of was it four people that were uh, genetically enhanced like um, Bashir? Uh, oh, yeah. 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 All right. Um, is this our first podcast since they finished Discovery Season 1? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have anything to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's late. Okay, you guys got anything you want to talk about? You're good. I'm good. I think I'm good. Yeah. All right. Uh, we are gonna we'll be back in two weeks to discuss just the next two episodes of Voyager. Since there's four episodes of season one left, we're gonna do two followed by two, and that way we can do our usual season one wrap up. But that'll be two episodes from now. Again, two weeks from now, we're just doing the next two. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at trekcompanion. Facebook.com slash trekcompanion is our Facebook page that Adam promises to update more often. (laughs) And thank you so much for spending an hour with us. Until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See ya. I passed it.